Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to episode number 87 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Today we're up to the newest episode of Stargate Universe, episode 14, titled Human. We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. But before that, we have a special treat. We're bringing on our buddy Chad Colvin from GateWorld.net to debrief us on his trip to the Vancouver Stargate Convention. Uh, just a few days ago, last week. Man, this dude was busy. He did so much, but uh, we'll we'll get to that with him. First, David, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I'm glad you to be back. You were off last week. I was in Anaheim. Doing a convention of your own, yeah. Did you have a good time? entire weekend. I had a very good time, yeah. It was fun. I saw some sweet pictures of you with a uh, little R2-D2, little young Ben Linus. <laughs> That's right. Met some cool people at Anaheim. Yeah, Cliff Simon stopped by our booth, Jay Yakovone stopped by our booth, Alexis Cruz uh, saw Jewel State briefly. Yeah, it was a great time. And you were there uh, at the PropWorks booth. Yes, PropWorks was running a booth. We showed off nine costumes and 16 props, uh, the Iron Man auctions from Chicago. We sold some catalogs, and fun was had by all. Made some good friends. Very good. You are listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Joining us now is GateWorld's own Chad Colvin, fresh from Vancouver. Chad, how was the convention? It was excellent. By far, probably the best con experience I've ever had. And I don't know if that's because of workload or the amount of people I talked to or just the overall mood. Or that we weren't there to ruin it for you? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I don't know if it was just out of respect, but there was not really any complaining about SGU, which was nice. Creation fetid questions uh, from the uh, SGU panel Sunday. But they didn't turn anyone away either, so That's that great. leads me to believe that there weren't any asked, and the people that right. were there were at least respectful enough to uh, not start making it what it is everywhere else online. So. That's mm. been my experience at the conventions in years past, when there's been hot-button issues like um, you know Daniel Jackson or, or um, McKay Keller and all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and, and people irritated with the producers when the producers show up that the stuff that's online doesn't really get translated into the real-life stuff, you know, the, the Q&A in the mm-hmm. convention hall. And I think it's probably because when you are standing in front of somebody, you have a tendency to go back to social norms and be have manners. Because, right. yeah, you don't have the anonymity of the Internet. Yeah. Exactly. We got a good chunk of interviews knocked out, too. All decent length. Um, I worked with Creation prior ahead of time to make sure that we got best bang for our buck schedule-wise. So at the bare minimum, we had 15 minutes, but with some people like Flanagan and Shanks scheduled, we were closer to like 25, half an hour. Wow. Our crowd was down a little bit uh, from last year, um, namely because with this year, due to shooting schedule and everything, they didn't offer the set tours. A little bit noticeable, but not hugely. I mean, the crowd was still very, very energetic, which is, is great. Yeah, I could tell, tell by the Gate World dinner list, which was, um, you know, has always been an indicator. We've always had 75, 80 folks show up. It has mm-hmm. been a huge, huge deal. And then this year, the list was like this about year, 40 folks, which, you know, I yeah. think is like, it makes it much more intimate. It does. And actually, over the course of we, even as things happened on the fly while we were up there, there were a few people that got added. So I think by the time everything was said and done, including Colin, we were closer to 50. But ah, still, that's okay. you know, still quite a drop from you know, what it was even last year. So, it's a good group, though. I think David's yeah. the real draw for that. 
<laughs> oh yeah, <Please>. man. <laughs> well, they called me. Yeah. They called me and thanked me, which was which was really wonderful. So, how did the how did the giveaways go? I spent a lot of time cooking those up. The giveaways went very well. They were very uh, well responded to. And David, we need to thank uh, PropWorks properly for. Um, contributing those uh those were one-of-a-kind items that we had and some of the lucky fans that were up there actually got are enjoying them right now very cool so what were the big prizes this year well see we had some replicator blocks that we gave away uh we had uh a, a weir costume uh one of her red shirts uh a fan got one of those we had a dhd crystal um some cool. puddle jumper crystal atlantis and um was trying to identify the bugs david what were those r75 yes Oh, from the Scourge. Yep. Yeah. Little cockroaches, cool. From Sci-Fried Band, uh, we had a CD from them also. So thank you to them for. Sci-Fried sent me uh, a care package, half of which I kept, and the other half I <laughs> I wanted to turn around and give to others. So um, that definitely editor? did that. Sci-Fried awesome. Band is awesome. Oh. The editor's prerogative. Yes. Yes. You know, the, they sent it to me, so I had to keep a couple of things, but the rest I really wanted to share. You know, Darren and I, you know, we we get. We're, we're pretty lucky in that we, we get a lot of goodies over the course of a year. Not a lot, but, I mean, we used to. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of that that, you know, what are we going to do? It's just going to sit in our closet. So we want to turn it around and give it out to other people who can really, you know, enjoy it full throttle. Well, that's great. That's great. We should uh, give shout-outs to those guys. Sci-Fried Band, uh, you can find them at sci-friedband.com. And PropWorks, that's where David spends his time, uh, StargateArtifacts.com. Thanks to those guys for, for providing that stuff. Now I want to hear more about the interviews that you did. You got to sit down with several of, of the cast members of the various shows at the convention for GateWorld, and we're going to be rolling those out on the website in the coming weeks. Who are the, the big highlights? For me, um, I'm going to have to say, well, I'll just run through the days here. Um, on Thursday, uh, the first person that I got a chance to... Uh, sit down and talk to was Peter Williams, uh, who played Apophis. That's the first time that I've had the chance to talk to him uh, since before I started with Gate World. I actually met him for the first time back in 2005, and uh, we had a nice long conversation about what he's doing now. He is uh, actually spending a lot of time in the Caribbean, actually acting and working on various local productions down there. Great conversation with him, and uh, we'll have that, uh, like uh, Darren set up in the weeks to come. And then the bulk of the interviews that I did were on Saturday and Sunday, which is part of the reason our uh, con reports have been slow in coming, is because I just, uh, once the weekend got going, I just did not have the time to play catch-up yeah, on Yeah, well, you were a one-man show there. We usually, David and I, have been going for, I think I did like six years in a row, didn't I? Yeah, six or seven. We all share the load. Before the creation event. So yeah, we were right. all there all the time every year, and had also you know volunteers um, taking photos and you know helping us uh, transcribe these interviews and all this stuff. And Chad was was the one man magic machine this year. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Let me say it right here on the show. I appreciate all the the uh, butt busting you've been doing, and we'll continue to do as we roll out these interviews. Well, I appreciate it. It's uh, nice to be appreciated. So I do uh, thank you, though. And actually, it, it was kind of fun because um, I don't know of anybody uh, that actually listens to the podcasts uh, is on my Facebook at all, but my current status right now says, you know, I'm back to real life, but it really doesn't matter because at this point, I'm just proud of the fact that I know I can multitask a lot more than I thought I could. Yeah. <laughs> Great week. Very busy week. But uh, glad to be home, but very, very happy with uh, the week as a whole. Awesome. Well, we're certainly going to be looking for a whole lot more convention coverage once you get a little bit of sleep and recuperation. Thanks, buddy. Hope you had a good time. Thank you much, and uh, you guys have a great day. Talk soon, dude. 
Thanks once again, Chad, and special thanks go out to Creation Entertainment for entertaining not only us, but everybody at the convention last week. Uh, you can find Creation online at creationent.com. There's a big Stargate convention coming to Chicago later this summer. I think that's uh, always the last weekend in August. And then there's an L.A. convention, I believe in November. I uh, don't have the dates in front of me right now, but look it up at creationent.com. And back in Vancouver again next spring. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic this week is Human. Episode 14 of SGU aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. and Space in Canada. And David, I want to ask you first really quick before we start on this about Faith. Because we didn't get you on the podcast Yeah. What did you think of Faith? Finally, a song that I want to download. I downloaded it. <laughs> what a beautiful piece of music all my days. I loved this episode. This was a really good show. There were some fun revelations in it, and, you know, it was it was done very well. Yeah, big change of pace from the last several, not just the last two, but even, even going back to Justice. Mm-hmm. They're taking advantage of the storyline from Divided, where everyone is kind of basically at each other's throats, and then placing them in a situation where they have to mend. I have no theories about, about the obelisk or the planet or anything else, and I do think that they're going to go back to it. I think that it would be amazing if they didn't, though just tell you that much i think it would yeah, be amazing it, if they never touched it but i will think that they'll go back to it i think they will it's a fascinating decision for stargate though having having watched stargate for so many years to just have this sort of thing presented this way and not answer the question by the yep. end of the episode because stargate's very good at tying things up in a little bow and that's just not how the universe operates you know and and what they suggest mm-hmm. with this episode is that is that we may never tie this up you know, some questions are simply left unanswered and that's just the way it is you know, that's one of the advantages of Destiny. People get left behind. There's nothing you can do about it. Some people, I mean, we, we will find mysteries and never be able to learn the explanation for them. We're just on a runaway train and we have to keep going. How about uh, TJ's pregnancy and Elena Huffman's acting? She stole the episode from everyone else. You know, this is what, is this the third, fourth pregnancy in the show? In Stargate history? Yeah, I really hope that this is a miscarriage. I think it's time for a miscarriage, frankly. Are you talking story-wise? Story-wise. I do hope that, that, this is, that this is a miscarriage. I think that that wrench in the plot uh, would be good for the show. The last couple of babies just haven't turned out too well. <laughs> I mean, you got one who turned into an evil dictator, and then the other one who kind of, you know, was supposed to serve a pretty decent part of the story and didn't really work out except for a couple of standouts like the prodigal. Other times they just he just got in the way and and they wrote him out of the story and sent his mother off. So I really think that uh, that it's time for tragedy to strike the ship in the, the way. Tragedy. Of, yeah, this not working out. Yeah, Atlantis was more settled down home, and so Taylor could kind of have a baby there, and it just wasn't a big deal. Mm. Um, Destiny is not that sort of environment. I, I I don't see the writers just having a a, a happy baby in on the ship. We shall see. Um, human, there's a whole lot more uh, uh, unanswered questions going on. We have a, a new planet we've discovered, an ancient civilization that's uh, the ruins of a civilization. All the people are, are uh, gone or dead or both. Uh, or whatever they were, yeah. Don't know if they were whatever people. Whatever they were. There's so much going on in this episode with uh, Rush on the Destiny, and Rush is, is uh, looking at its backstory, and he's trying to figure out uh, how to access the Destiny systems, and then we've got the away mission to the planet. There's so much here. What are you going to talk about first? Rush is in the chair. We never thought that he would do it, and I just say to myself aloud in my living room, oh, he's in the chair. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Young this... has been 
you know, calling him out for just being being a chicken. And, yeah. And trying to, to force other people, trying to manipulate guys like Dr. Franklin into doing it because he, he was he was chicken. Maybe not that, but he thought that he was the least expendable, so he wanted to find someone else who was. You know, he he really may not have thought himself as a chicken. He just thought of himself as more valuable. But here he is, and you know, I didn't think of this in, until this day. This is Stargate doing A Beautiful Mind. That didn't occur to me until today. Um, mm. And doing it well. Yes, this is John from North Carolina. I'm calling about the human episode. I really like the idea of people being left behind and having to fed for themselves. I really wish we got to see Rush do that when he was left behind, and I hope they don't show up in the next episode back on Destiny. Wow, that was just great. Eventual. I want them to work for it. I want them to work for getting back or just work to survive. I'm very interested in that. I hope the you know, powers that be don't keep flipping, flopping, trying with teases of shaking up the dynamic only to bring the characters back in the next episode. Usually I get to watch episodes a couple of times and ruminate over them for a day or two before we record. We're recording a day early this week, so I just saw this episode for the first time, like 30 minutes ago. So it's pretty fresh with me. You're going to have to help me work through some of these details. You've got the first thing that I'm thinking when I'm watching this is once once he talks with Daniel... And he realizes what's going on, that the, the, he's, basically, he's basically existing in a simulation of the most tragic event in his life. And he's trying mm-hmm. to work through the problem of the Destiny's Master Code while he's living through the worst experience of his life. And he's like, yeah, 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 you know, I've been through this before, and this is what's going to happen next. And I'm thinking to myself, how cool is that? You know, that's, that's an interesting storytelling technique. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. Not only show us what has happened before you know, with him in the past, but have him be aware of it and just have him trying to get through it in order to solve the problem that's that's on his lap right now and trying to figure out if there's a reason for this specific recalled memory, you know, the number 46, what's going on with it, um, and also at the same time learning about his wife, learning that perhaps she's the recording that he's listening to on his iPod at Icarus Space. Maybe he's specifically listening to her performance. Oh, her um, performance. Mm. And, uh, you know, that brings a lot of weight to that scene. It, mm-hmm. I gotta say, I, I I wish that we discovered more about his motives in this episode and more about his relationship with Destiny and why he thinks that Destiny is what it is. I, I, yeah. I was a little disappointed that we didn't get that, but I'm satisfied yeah. that we got to know him a little bit better and how he feels about Eli and, you know, everything like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, slow down for me here. You you put a lot out on the table. Um, the wife is, uh, her name's Gloria, uh, really interesting, uh, appears to be the picture that he was he was looking at, I think, mm-hmm. in Airport Is it the same Blind actress? Space. I don't know. I'd have to go back and do a, a look at the screenshot of that photo. Um, I would guess not. I would guess that they, that they cast this actress for this role, uh, for this episode. But um, one thing that that stood out to me uh, in the scenes with his wife is virtually every time she is on screen, this music plays. Mm -hmm. And it's like she's got this theme with Mm -hmm. this very, very distinct instrument, very distinct sound. It almost seems like she's the source of him being able to figure out what's going on. You know, she was there's there's one one reference, I think, when Rush was talking to Daniel that when he's around his wife, the numbers uh, Mm -hmm. come easier. Something like that. I'm going to throw out this wild and crazy theory right here. I think she's Destiny. Oh, you think she's actually a... 
I I think I don't know if she's the AI. I wouldn't call her the AI, but I think in his circumstance, in his vision, she like she is destiny. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, when he's around her, he is fully engaged. Yeah, but like you said, he's trying to ignore it because this is a this is a past memory. Uh, seems like it's about two and a half years ago, just before he joined yeah. the Stargate. Program. And that's his greatest mistake, uh, I think. And he knows he knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen, and he knows that it's a figment of his imagination. He's basically in a lucid dream state. He's he's uh, he know he's dreaming, and he knows he's dreaming. Yeah. So he's he's in control of it to a degree, and so he's ignoring her and her and her circumstances and her plight and everybody else. Basically, you know, he's treating his students in the lecture hall as You're basically you know, elements of his mind of his subconscious uh, that he needs help from. But thematically, this is so interesting for me because what he hates about himself about this time in his history was he wasn't there for his wife when she mm-hmm. was going through this, suffering and dying of cancer. He was off. Uh, I think on Icarus Base, yeah. you know, doing this research on the Ninth Chevron Project. Now that's exactly what's going on again. He is working on a problem, yeah. so he's he's there, but he's not there. He's ignoring his wife again. Um, you know, he's he's sort of, you know, he's he's repeating the same mistakes. I think he's not taking advantage of this environment and saying, "Okay, I'm going to do things right this time." He realizes that he's in this chair and he's got to solve this problem, and that this is basically. The video playing on the VCR in the background. Um, yeah, he's he's a pragmatist. It's not real. It doesn't matter. Mm-mm. No, it doesn't matter. But once he figures out that he can perhaps use this to his advantage, and you know, he tries at the very beginning with his students. He says, you know, you guys are figments of uh, of me. You are you are elements of me. Now just realize this and start to get to work. And at some point in the middle of the show, he says, you know, this is only me. You know, no one, I can't turn to anyone and, and say, help me solve this. And, oh, okay, I think it's this and this. This is only me that we're dealing with. And in the end, when his wife's on, his, on her deathbed, does she start to speak in his context as well that, you know, you weren't here and this and that. And she reveals that, you know, she is a figment of his imagination, which is why I think that she's destiny. You know, yeah. I, think this, I think this chair may be the heart of the ship. Or maybe, you know, access to the, may provide access to the ship that way, so it's cool. Yeah, that's an interesting idea that, that, uh, that maybe it's, it's the ship literally talking to him instead of him just confronting his own subconscious. I love the scene at the end where she's, she's on the bed, um, the last scene that they have together, where she's calling him out. You know, she's saying, this is not, the person that you've become is not who you are. The line that I that I wrote down in my notes was she says the things you've done, it's not you. Yeah. Um, she believes that, or you know, if you take this as as a Russia's subconscious, he believes that his wife's death made him callous. He was not like this before yeah. she died. So lots about his past. Uh, obviously, he was married. His wife died of cancer. Uh, they don't appear to have any kids, at least not that we know of. No, no. This this, this um, man is way too self-absorbed for children. I thought at first when he walked down the hallway and, and opened the door, uh, which turned out to be his office with all the notes plastered on the wall, I thought he was going to walk into maybe a child's room. And so the tragedy was going to be the death of a child. Mm. Uh, but that's, I don't know, maybe a little too Jack O'Neill for the show to go to. <laughs> what about Daniel? Yeah, he was recruited into the Stargate program by Daniel Jackson himself. Michael Shanks returns for this episode. You know, I, some people may um, complain that this wasn't enough Shanks in this episode. Uh, man, I think it was a perfect balance. Yeah, it was an appropriate amount. Yeah, this wasn't about Daniel. 
You know, he uh, Shanks was servicing the story. Yeah, and it kind of felt like uh, ascended Daniel in the Changeling with yeah. the, with Yoke and his his uh, dream state. Yeah, and I guess also a little bit in terms of of having a small amount of an SG one team member servicing the story. Um, kind of reminds me of Jack in uh, the real world in mm-hmm. the, the weird the weird dream episode. It's interesting what what Daniel reveals. You know, he talks about. Um, he talks about his wife, you know, so Rush had to have known about Shari. Yeah. Uh, so they, they had to have gotten to know each other a little bit. You mentioned Rush's attitude towards Eli. That was a yes. little stunning to have that uh, be stated so blatantly. He's jealous. Yeah, you kind of knew that that's how he was feeling, how he must be feeling, um, especially after Air Part 1. I mean, this, you know, large child steps in <laughs> at the 11th hour and... Boom, he and gives saves, him the solution. And solves it. He's been wor- I mean, he's the smartest guy on the planet. Rush uh, probably thinks that he's the smartest guy on the planet that's been working on this problem for two and a half years. And in comes this child with no... I mean, he's just the, the condescension. You know, that with, would with tear no, you up. No education of any significance. You're working on this thing for 30 months, and then someone swoops in and solves it? You couldn't help but be jaded at that. I'm really interested in this relationship between these two guys, Eli and Rush. I want to see more of it, and I want to see, you know, especially now that we know, it's been stated up front, that this is how Rush feels about mm-hmm. it. You know, he obviously recognizes the skills that Eli brings to the table and wants to have him on his side. Yeah. But, yeah, he's he's got this uh, sort of personal, emotional hostility that he's harboring. I think one of the bigger elements uh, that is kind of sideways hidden in this episode that will come to play later this year, especially if you've seen the previews, is that the Lucian Alliance was aware of this planet before we were. Um, there was a reference, wasn't there? Yes. And I, this, this was the sort of thing that I would, I would specifically go back and listen closely to on a review. But, they were aware um, of Icarus. I was uh, distracted by my children, and I sat up and said, did Daniel just say something about the Lucian Alliance? Mm-hmm. In the Icarus planet, so did you? Did you uh, catch the the exact? A source that... inside the Lucian Alliance provided them with the location of Icarus. Wow, the Icarus planet was the super duper special planet that mm-hmm. uh, was unlike unlike anything that allowed them to dial the Knight Chevron. In the extra features for the Daniel documentary, it revealed that it was it had an Aquadria core, which mm-hmm. is uh, why it was so uh, unstable. And mm-hmm. you know why it had why it was so powerful. That's going to be key. We'll throwaway line, uh-huh. one of which is that the Lucian Alliance uh, knew about this planet already. So we're speculating in the in the first episode that uh, when we're attacked by Gould motherships, it's probably the Lucian Alliance coming to call. So apparently they knew about this planet, and it's not that they have a mole inside Icarus Base who tipped them off. Or that Rush tipped oh, that, them off or anything like that. That may still be true. But that they were the ones who found the planet, mm-hmm. and we went and used it. And then the other piece of information that, that that little line gives us is that, what? Apparently we have a source in the Lucian Alliance. So maybe we have a mole in their midst, not vice mm-hmm. versa. There are you know, a couple of different elements in this, in this episode that I was surprised about. You know, we go to a planet. I wasn't expecting that. And we see a little bit of Greer's backstory. Let's talk about some of that. Eli made a joke about him being scared to go into the, into the tunnels. Chloe says, I thought it was scared of nothing. He was apparently a little claustrophobic, Scott says. But mm-hmm. um, 
when Greer turned and gave Eli that that sort yeah, of serious yeah. look, yeah. I thought he was I thought he was joking. I thought he was going to, you know, kind of snap out of it after Mm-mm. intimidating him for a couple seconds and he didn't. He was pissed. No, and we see under the um we we see when they're in the cavern a flashback and we see that no, this is this is something that is serious from his past where he was in a closet or something or trying to avoid something like very terrible outside or or being locked in there maybe i don't know and um so that that comes from a place that i can't wait to see explored and maybe uh serious for the next episode which we'll get to the cliffhanger but they're still down there greer is buried alive yeah what an ending i thought it was pretty funny the uh the kino gets lost Eli is, is only—he doesn't have a map on that little control box of his. You know, he—he's only just going with sight, and he—he mm-hmm. lo- he loses the Kino in the he underground cavern. Can't find his way back out. They got to go in and get after it. And it also shows that the Kino is not just a transmitter; it's also the collector of the data. And, and that was—I think—that yeah, was yeah. also proven in time as well. You know, the, the Kino has the information and not the remote. Um, not the remote. And if you're going sense. to retrieve the data, you have to go and get the Kino. Um, good stuff. Yeah, this was shot beautifully. I loved when they arrived on the planet. We get a little bit of, yeah, I think it's Kino Vision walking them, yeah. uh, seeing seeing the the group walk towards the ruins, but uh, it's very steady shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for those who are complaining about too much shaky cam, I think that that this uh, this was a good episode. There were some nice steady camera moves like Cooper, that. Cooper Coop directed it. Rob Cooper directed it. Rob and... Cooper directed it. I was going to ask you, has he ever directed an episode that he did not also write the script for? Ah, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, this was written by a freelancer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Jeff Lemming wrote the episode or is uh, is credited as the writer and uh, we know from Joe Malazzi. Yeah, yeah, great great episode. Um we do know from Joe Malazzi's blog that Rob Cooper as a executive producer did a pass on the script. So a lot of this may may uh, okay. be his at the end of the day, but yeah, re- shot really well, and the visuals. I mean, I assume they didn't uh, build this giant city of ruins somewhere in in uh, the Vancouver forest. Yeah, so the foreground the props- was constructed. So. Yeah, yeah. So props then to the set building team, but also to to Mark Savella and the Viz Effects team. I thought this this city of ruins was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part yeah. of it was because this is. This is uh, one of the first episodes that I've watched in HD. Ah, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, the ending is a jaw-dropper. They get left behind. Um, and as soon as the Destiny resumes FTL, I was like, oh, man. You know, it's kind of like the feeling that you got, or that I got in um, Justice. Uh, they're gone. Ship takes off. And remind, if, if I ever watch the teaser for next week's episode again, kick my ass. Man, <laughs> the little I sci-fi have preview? no business watching the teaser. Holy smokes. Oh, see, that's the nice thing. That's the nice thing about watching on iTunes is... Uh, you don't get the teaser. I, I very often don't see the teaser at all. I mean, we, we post it the following Friday. Um, the Friday that the new episode airs, we post it on the website. Yeah. Uh, so well, I do end up seeing them. But, I mean, my wife didn't even know that Daniel was in this one. Oh, there you go. So well, I mean, you, you know, it's it's obvious that, you know, the four of your main cast members are going to get back to the ship at some point somehow, but I don't need to watch the the teaser, and I'm not going to spoil the teaser for the next week's episode for anyone, but you know, I mean, that that's fairly obvious, but I didn't want to see that. Um, how are the, how do you think they're going to get back to the ship? Well, I, I've been wondering for months what the significance of having an episode titled Lost 
is all about. And okay. now we apparently know four of our characters are lost. And no, they weren't just left behind on the planet because the characters weren't working out. The writers decided to ditch them. This is the story now. These four guys have to find a way to get back to Destiny. And, you know, we have a Stargate. So just because Def- Destiny's jumped to FTL does not necessarily mean that it's outside the range of that Stargate yet. Well, the, the, the thing that we've been under the impression for is that the Destiny stops at networks and then moves on to another network. The Stargates can't dial outside of their networks. You know, they, you, you look yeah. at the Kino remote and it Shorter only... Ring. Yeah, so I don't know, man. They, they, may, they may be Stargate hopping. I'm not sure. That would be cool. Wouldn't that be cool if they, if the Destiny is too far out of range, but they can find another planet in the network and go to another planet or maybe another one after that and another one after that? And follow the try, ship. Try and catch up to the ship before it, it gets too far away? It's it, it goes a little against, you know, what we've learned about, like, the networks. But, hey, if there's some way, that, that'll probably be explained in the next episode. But it's cool. You yeah. know, that was a bold choice to leave them behind. I'm looking forward to the next week's episode. At the same time, I'm beginning to be frustrated because they've established this jeopardy where if you leave someone behind, they're stuck. They can only be picked up so many times, you know, after they're left behind. Oh, well, we get them back ultimately. You can only do that so many times before the audience doesn't buy it anymore and says, well, you know, this whole thing about the ship being a runaway train, you know, it's I don't buy it because, you know, if if they're going to leave them behind, they'll get back somehow. You know, I'm not worried about it. There's no jeopardy anymore. You can only utilize that 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 dilemma so many times with the main cast with a happy ending. Yeah, Yeah, with the main cast. Um, But at the same time. We see in this episode that that Rush is closer to accessing the Destiny's main systems. So, you know, I wonder how long this runaway train storyline is going to continue. At some point, it seems logical that we actually might get some control over the Destiny systems, so mm. we don't necessarily have to have a countdown clock every time the ship stops. Uh, but personally, I want the countdown clock to go for two or three seasons. There's yeah. To give the show a, a real longevity to it, You know, there are so many stories that you can do with the Destiny in the mode that it's in right now. And if they fix it by the end of the season where they've got control of the ship, I'm going to be disappointed. This show has a lot of mileage out of it. I think that we're going to get some control, but we're going to f- we're going to figure out that once we get into those systems, that we can't control things like, you know, the Destiny is has got a, a six hour countdown clock, and it's a it's a runaway train. I think we're going to get some limited control. That's just speculation. Hmm. Um, back to the civilization. I thought it was really interesting that Chloe was observing that there are no signs of human remains, no skeletal remains anywhere. Now, is that just because it's the civilization's potentially hundreds of thousands of, of years gone or millions of years gone, uh, so there would not necessarily even be skeletal remains? Or is I it don't know, of- dude. I, I, this, this, this may be, you know, the time machine. This may be the Morlocks underground. You've got, there, there's a really interesting beat where they hear a sound and they go, what was that? And, oh, it's the wind. You know, that, that's, I suspect that yeah. that's going to be explored in the, next, in the next episode. You know, something is yeah. down there. Something is down there. I don't um, think all the people got eaten by the giant spiders. <laughs> That's right. Although a giant that spider. was cool. That was yeah. uh, as far as uh, little little creature effects that Stargate has done. That was one of the best. That was something straight out of Stephen King's The Mist. Very well done. <laughs> Good movie if you haven't seen it. Very creepy. Hi, this is Sean from Ohio, and I'm calling about the episode Human. You know, this was an episode I have been waiting for since the beginning of the show. Finally 
some rush character development. You know, he's my favorite character because he's just so complex and, and interesting. You know, the use of, of Daniel Jackson in this episode is very interesting. Almost, you know, harkening back to when he was ascended, but he's obviously not anymore. But uh, one other thing I want to mention is the spider on the planet that Greer shot. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily shoot it right away. It didn't seem to be attacking. What if it was sentient? I mean, you're in a completely different galaxy. You don't know what life is like there. I mean, the aliens you've seen are already, like, crazy-looking things. They're not like humans. So how did they know that the spiders weren't, you know, sentient? Then again, if he has fear of spiders like I do, uh, well, I might have shot too. So. Obviously, this is the first sign of a, a civilization on a planet that we found, other than the, the blue space aliens. We know that they're running around uh, in these, apparently, in multiple galaxies. Yeah. This was the first planet that we found that actually, apparently, had people living. On. Yes. You know, in Milky Way and Pegasus, 99% of those colonized planets were the direct result of the ancients, uh, or the Gould were, were taking human form life uh, from Earth and spreading it around. So, yeah. you know, i got to wonder about these guys, and again, this is, this is big unanswered questions. Yeah. Uh, how old was this civilization? Um, were, were the ancients responsible for their existence in somehow, or are they just completely, totally alien? Well, uh, we nothing... know that they're not Lilypushins, and we know that they're not giants, so... Lilypushins, little people, really teeny tiny. Gulliver's Travels. You uh, archaeologist, anthropologist, you. The question I did have here is uh, about the fact that there is a Stargate on this planet. So, I think that we can conclude one of two things. Either the ancient cedar ship placed a gate on an inhabited planet and probably knew that the planet was inhabited when they plunked the gate down. Or... The cedar ship plunked the gate down, and someone came along and settled on the planet next to the Stargate, possibly even used the Stargate to settle the planet. Ah, look at you. You missed a third option. The cedar ship may have deposited life as well. Uh, I don't see how that could happen. It's one of the questions that I asked Rob a long time ago. Does, Does it just deposit Stargates, or does it also deposit some sort of DNA? Uh, and he and he did not answer that. Very wise of him, in my opinion, uh, to, mm. to not to not reveal that at all. Whether yes Seats or no, of life kind of thing. Yeah. Not not actual passengers riding on the cedar ships. Right. I gotcha. Two episodes in a row with these these big uh, unanswered questions about ancient civilizations. I love it. That's cool. Let's come back and revisit it, though. Don't leave me hanging forever. I suspect that as we go along, we're going to discover a, a grander purpose to these networks, that it's not going to be just so random and chaotic. There may be a, a through plot. Networks? Yeah, yeah. There, there may be a through plot with not necessarily these blue uh, clawed aliens, but, you know, to the grander purpose of why the destiny is out there. I think, I think a lot of it may get connected. Yeah, and for people who are playing along at home with the the Stargate network speculation, I think that what we figured out so far is that when the Cedar ships plunk down Stargates in various galaxies, the gates are uh, a 1.0 version. They're older, so they're not capable of dialing to any Stargate in that entire galaxy. They have a shorter range. It's like like literally like a like a geographic range mm-hmm. limit. So, and then there also seem to be just a, a handful of Stargates, as far as we can tell, in any one given galaxy. There may be three or five or eight. 
So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that continues to play out, especially in an episode like uh, like Lost next week where mm-hmm. we have a Stargate and a ship that is too far away to gate to. What are we going to do? Well, they've got Eli, which is their advantage. I think it was pretty stupid for them all to go into that mine, man. They really u- could have used a, a commanding yeah. officer with some experience to say, uh, no, let's not do that. But, I mean... Yeah, it services the story. As the mission commander, I would expect Scott to to step up there. You know, at the very least, you know, order Greer to to stay outside and stand guard or something like that. If you are in an old building all by yourself and the group that you're with, you do not all jump into an elevator and go for a ride. (laughs) You don't do that. It is too risky that that thing is going to get stuck. Um, that, that was, it was pretty stupid, but you know, it was, it, it turned into a, a fun story. Yeah. I hope we get to see more of, uh, this civilization and what, what they had going. Yeah. But I liked, I liked Eli and Chloe in this one. They're sort of, uh, yeah, trying to patch up their relationship a little bit from, from divided. I love the scene conv- uh, convincing young that they should, should go visit this planet. Mm-hmm. Say something archeological. There's a lot in this episode. There's a lot. Yeah, it's pretty um, dense. And Young, you know, my man Young, he's, uh, <laughs> when he gives them permission to, to go on the mission and the two of them walk out of the room, he just, you know, he laughs. Yeah. And I love that. So it's such a nice little moment for him. Chloe's been memorizing Daniel's logs. You know, she's uh, she's beginning to become kind of a Jonas. Um well, it's funny because Eli's basically, I mean, he's, again, he's the audience perspective, so he's basically, like, trying to come up with something for her to do, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some excuse for her to go along on this mission. She's got this skill set. She's got that skill set. She, you know, studied ancient history at Harvard. I didn't recognize her at first in the, um, in the uniform. That was like, you know, this is, this is a good change for her. Good episode, man. Good. I was very pleased. I was, too. I want to see more. And I think it is picking up. I mean, the writers seem to have strategized the season and said, okay, after the pilot, we're going to spend the first half of the season-ish, uh, you know, establishing the characters and the dilemma that they're in, and we're, we're going to focus on the internal conflict and not the external conflict. And then, starting with space, there's going to be yeah. external conflict, there's going to be uh, other issues going on, there's going to be more planetary exploration and... and uh, you know, threats other than I don't have anything to drink. I'm really you thirsty. have to and do that. And it's working. And it's you working. Have, you have to do that with this show. You can't just bumble along and go, huh, you know, let's, let's, let's tell this this week. Let's tell this this week. This is a show that requires structure, and that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, the tough thing is the four-month break in the middle of the season. Um, the way that they're telling this, this uh, story arc, I, I really wish that we'd gotten little or no break at all. Yeah, I think it would, I think it would have helped the audience. I think the audience would have just been built up even more, rather than having a four-month break to allow them to decide whether or not they're even going to tune in next time. Because I think we lost a lot of people. Hey guys, this is Stephanie calling from Japan again. I feel like we've all been waiting to see this side of Dr. Rush. And the payoff was unequivocally deserving of every fan's praise. I will readily admit that last week, I was very close to calling with complaints. The old SG-1 team would have found a way into that notorious obelisk. The only thing that made me appreciate last week's episode, Faith, was by listening to your podcast. So thank you. But I think that most fans have been waiting for something to happen, really happen. And between references to the great Douglas Adams and the fact that most of our favorite characters have been stranded on a really, really interesting planet. Yeah, 
something has happened, and we are all excited. So all I really have to say is bring on the next episode. It's that time again, quibble time. I had time to think through this episode very much, so I only have one minor quibbly thing to say. What about you? No quibbles. I'm very, very happy. I think it's pretty tight. If you listen to last week's show about faith, you might see this quibble coming. Here it is. Riley! Oh, yes! Sergeant Riley is there. That's so why she I... didn't mention him, because he didn't <laughs> need mentioning. Because he's apparently doing just fine, thank you very much. He was uh, uh, critically wounded in the episode Earth, and uh, the last thing we heard about him was, was uh, TJ coming out of, of the, the med bay saying... He's going to be touch and go for a while. Mm-hmm. That's and, the last uh, heard of Riley. He's Kane, no, Kane mentions him in uh, in space. Oh, does he? Yeah, I'm only I only got assigned to Stone Duty because Riley's not back on his feet yet. Riley's not back on his feet yet. Well, okay, more so than a month he, later, he's on his feet. Maybe at that point, he's not in a in a coma. And I guess they never really really uh, used the coma word like mm-hmm. like they did with I think with Franklin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was just uh, not feeling well. He was recuperating for a long time. Yeah. But he's back, and he's feeling much better now. Thank you very much. Um, as I said on last week's show, actor Heg Sutherland, who plays uh, Sergeant Riley, uh, apparently got some theater work in Vancouver. Who did he go middle- off and play? Was it like Henry VIII or something? I mean, it was, it was like a big character. You know? Yeah, I don't know um, who it was. And so it was great for the, the, the team accommodated him rather than saying, which they easily could have, you know. This you're, you're either it's either one or the other, you know. Yeah. We don't we don't yeah. have time for this. There's too much going he's a, on. He's a valuable character that that um, in the early episodes of the show, it's it seemed like maybe they were setting this guy up to be the the, the next Chevron guy, the next Walter, or the next Chuck. Mm-hmm. He's this so, a gentle little back. character. Yeah, with a little bit of bite to him. Yeah. His snarks about Spencer. Anyways. <laughs> I was glad to see him back. I, I wish that we had gotten a little bit more... This is the quibble part. I wish that we had gotten a little bit more explanation as to, to uh, his recovery process. Mm. But there he is. He's back on his feet. Listener mail. Free to check out GateWorld all week this week for our full coverage of Human. You can find a complete transcript of the episode, plus photos, a screen capture gallery. The summary should be along very soon if it's not up yet. And uh, head over to the forum. We've got lots of people talking about the episode at GateWorld Forum. We have some voicemail, but before we get to that, we have a couple of emails that I want to read to you. These are interesting discussion points that we got. Um, Tyler, a.k.a. Colonel T, writes in and says, Hey, guys, I saw this today, and it has to do with the discussion you had a while back in the podcast about the responsibilities that the crew of the Destiny has while in other people's bodies. This is uh, going back to Earth with the Communication Stones. Tyler says, I don't know if you watch the little Kino vids on the official MGM Stargate website, but the new one deals with this issue. Is this and the one with watch... Chloe um, taken over by someone else? Yeah, watch this Kino vid. There's a link in the show notes at gateworld.net over to uh, stargate.mgm.com. Uh, first new Kino vid of yeah. the second half of the season, and it's Chloe who's been taken over by some, some random soldier from Earth. This is my favorite Kino video yet because it explains a lot. Uh, of, of valid questions that we've been having, uh, and it's really good. It's 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 like four minutes long, and, and they all do it in one take. Long, so yeah. David and Elise, props. It's uh, not to my satisfaction. I will say that. Really, you didn't like it? 
not satisfied with, with the answer. I'm glad that they addressed the question. Mm. But in terms of the realism of, you know, do whatever you want with my body, I don't mind. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know what? That's, that's a valid podcast discussion at some point. Yeah. And episodes here in six weeks, so we've got to come up with new topics. I should say that right here. We uh, are looking for topics from, from you guys for when, the, when we're done with SGU Season 1. So, here you go. Call in. Write in. Tell us what you want to hear us talk about. Next message is from Chuck. He says, Hi guys, just a quick question that I have. When they repaired the shuttle that the Senator died in, what did they do with his body? Did I miss that part? I've been a great fan of the Gate World Podcast for a long time. Keep up the great work. I asked myself that question too. Um, first of all, how'd they even get into it with, with him pushing down on the button or however they managed it? I guess that's all we have to say, Chuck. That's a good question. I think <laughs> the body was, was probably still in there. However they got into the shuttle, the body was still in there and they just uh, did what they needed to do and didn't show it on screen. They're eating him now. They're Armstrong. It's delicious. <laughs> what would be a good a good meal title, Armstrong? Something de la Armstrong? I don't know. Well, um, he's been he's been in that uh, ice cold vacuum for a while. Okay, so, so he's Armstrong, probably, like stretchy Armstrong. By <laughs> Armstrong on a stick. I don't know. Yeah, my name is Roy Newton, and I'd like to know when will we see Lou Diamond Fellows in Stargate Universe? Um, we haven't seen him since the uh, season progressed again, and um. In April. When will we see Telford again, asks Roy. Um, soon. He's in the trailer. Let's say that. He's yeah. in the, the season 1.5 teaser trailer from MGM. So we know he's coming back. And it looks like he may be coming back in a really interesting, spoilery way. Hi, guys. This is Thomas from Ontario, and I'm just calling about the Destiny itself. Um, personally, I think they know why the Destiny doesn't seem to care whether it leaves us behind jumps into FTL, incinerating um, more of the shuttles, or just basically not care whether it kills us or helps us in general. What if the Destiny doesn't have sensors? It doesn't need them because it has the cedar ships mapping everything uh, out before it. And if it doesn't have life science detectors, it wouldn't know whether we're on the ship, whether we're off the ship, anything. Now, you've been pushing this, uh, the first half of the season, especially that Destiny is... A consciousness. Like, uh, Consciousness that knows that we're there and knows what our needs are, and so it's mm-hmm. going and meeting our needs. What if it was the blue aliens who had gotten on first? Would mm. would it be trying to get rid of them? Would it be taking care of their needs? Did you like Joe's explanation that uh, the reason that the aliens got aboard that section of the ship is because um, James cut the power to that section? Because Lieutenant James cut the power when all the electricity was going off in the hallway. Yeah, they detected um, that, that that ship was... Uh, unpowered, which explains the whole thing. I wish that they would have put that in dialogue. That's been driving fandom nuts. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch Space again and see what the timing is on those scenes. Yeah. Because, I don't know, maybe it was supposed to be more obvious that she cuts the power and then, you know, a shot or two later, here comes the alien ship cutting through the hole. I guess that's the explanation. Hello, uh, my name's Adam from Athens, Ohio, and I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. And I really enjoy it. This is my uh, first chance to give you guys a call, but I had a question about faith. The last episode of SGU, I was wondering if you guys would talk a little bit about, you know, the little robot that they found on the ship and maybe what implications that could have on how the ship is run or how 
they could fix the ship. I think that would be really cool. You know what? When when Rush came out of the out of the chair, I thought he was going to run straight for that robot, turn it on, send it through the gate, and the robot was going to dig them out. That's what I thought. I thought it was going to be some kind of excavation device, and it was going to unbury them. Hi, this is Dallas from Columbus, Ohio. I just started listening to the podcast, and as a huge Stargate fan, it's great for me to listen to the, to the podcast on the road as I do a lot of driving for work. I wanted to bring a few tangential points together leading up to a possible SGU storyline spoiler. As mentioned previously, the Destiny seems to have seen its fair share of battles, and if you couple this with the fact that the Vanier Asgard's environmental suits are essentially the same as those found on Destiny, it is entirely plausible that the Vanier Asgard controlled or inhabited the ship at some point and could have interacted with the blue alien species, possibly engaging them in battle. As mentioned in Air Part 1, the 9 Chevron Gate address was found in the ancient database, presumably the same, a- same one the Asgard helped extract from Colonel O'Neill's mind. Perhaps the Asgard were aware of Destiny, given their 10,000-year-old contact with the Alterans slash Ancients, further lending credence to the possibility that the Asgard had boarded Destiny at some point. One more final point I'd like to make. If the CO2 scrubbers in air were jumped up from thousands or millions of years of use, that would seem likely that someone was on board Destiny at some point to require CO2 scrubbing. Thanks again for taking my call, and love the podcast. You're listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for your voicemail this week. Next week, of course, we're talking about Lost, which airs Friday night on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. and on Space in Canada. So this week's listener question is, what did you think of the new episode? Give us a call on the GateWorld podcast hotline if you want to get your thoughts heard on the show. That's area code 951-262-1647. Call any time. What a fantastic balance of, of callers that we had last week. I really think that, you know, we're hitting our stride with callers. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to call in. We really appreciate hearing you call in. We really appreciate knowing that there's folks out there listening. Uh, it's all good. Yeah, and people who like to pick apart Stargate as much as we do. Yeah. I sometimes feel a little bit uh, neurotic Strange. recording these. <laughs> but then I, I hear these wonderful callers from like this, you know, you know, 30-something, 40-something mom from, from yeah. uh, Ontario or something, and she's, uh, she's thinking through the same things that I am. I love yeah. it. So May 5th is Lost, and then on our May 12th show, we'll talk about the episode Sabotage. And on May 19th, the episode is Pain. That's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in to Ye Oldie Podcast. We'd love to hear from you on the hotline. Or you can always email a brief recording to webmaster at gateworld.net. And let's get more voices on this show so you don't have to listen to me and David as much. No, we're, we're giving we're giving whole minutes away. Please, come in and take them. And then there's the podcast feedback thread over at GateWorld Forum. Good to have you back. From GateWorld, this is Darren. And this is David. Glad to be back. And come back next week for more of the GateWorld Podcast.